Sunbelt Conference may have owned the Big 12 over the weekend, but Lincoln Riley took the Missouri Valley Conference out back and totally waylaid it. Oklahoma 48 to nothing over Missouri State to start the 2020 college football season, a season that we weren't 100% for sure would ever come, and it did. And it's off to a great start if you're an Oklahoma fan. And there's just lots of directions you can go with this, Rich, um, trying to figure out just how good this team is for Oklahoma or maybe how bad Missouri State is. But let's start with with the offense, with a couple of freshmen really just kind of having a heyday in their coming out party. That would be Spencer Rattler and Seth McGowan. And if we want to go for the trifecta, we could just throw Marvin Mims in there as well. Start with Spencer Rattler. Um, Great. Here's what I – I'm just going to say this because I want your thoughts. But you gotta you gotta take into account the level of competition, which was not extraordinary at all. But the level of competition doesn't dictate certain things like accuracy and touch. I I said this on Twitter during the game Saturday night. It was almost San Bradford-esque the way he was putting the touch on the deep ball. Started seven for seven in the game, and really his his best pass of the night was that eighth pass that Charleston Ramble dropped in the corner of the end zone. That was a beautiful pass. <laughs> I, I, I said on Twitter, it was almost too perfect, I guess, for Rambo to, to get underneath it and, and handle it properly. But when, when you talk about, you know, the, the yardage, 290 yards, four touchdowns, only playing two quarters, that's great. And you can say, well, it was Missouri State. And it was. It was Missouri State, which is, if you listen to the pregame podcast going back to last week, I, I said that this is one of the worst podcast, uh, one of the worst opponents. It probably is a bad podcast as well. Uh, one of the worst opponents that Oklahoma has ever brought into Norman. But again, when you, took, when you talk about his command of the offense, the way he understands and as the, the way he just puts the ball in place, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. That was impressive. I completely agree with you, especially given the first time out in that starting role. Now, we knew coming in, basically coming out of high school, we knew the type of talent that Spencer Rattler was. Coming into the University of Oklahoma, we did expect him to improve under the direction of Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley has a proven track record. It may not be extremely extensive at this point, but it is a proven track record with at least five years on the books from Baker Mayfield all the way up till today with Spencer Rattler, where we've seen continuous improvement. I had sat down at a, um, just a little get together of people who were asking, and I know we're not at this point of the game, Matt, in our discussion, but they were asking who Chandler Morris was. And I said, you know, he's a, he was a four-star recruit, came in, is, is a true freshman this year, was that quarterback recruit that Oklahoma was looking to pick up when they, they really didn't have any big name on the list between Rattler and now Caleb Williams. So Chandler Morris comes in and said, well, why would, why would he choose to go to a school that his dad wasn't coaching at? Because had made quick mention, and I said, that, that's just the Lincoln-Riley factor. I say all that to say we do expect improvement after one year. Spencer Rattler being in a collegiate weight room, but also being coached by Lincoln-Riley directly and working hands-on with him as a talent. You talk about the touch that he has. I want to talk about the fluid motion because it's been it's been some time since I've seen a quarterback who looked that comfortable and made passing look that easy I don't know that Baker Mayfield had that same motion I don't know that Kyler Murray had that same motion and those are two great quarterbacks in their own right at the collegiate level regardless of the fact that they went to the University of Oklahoma Spencer Rattler is something completely different the one knock and I don't agree with this at all the one knock I saw on social media was the the mobility issue saying that Spencer Rattler wasn't a mobile quarterback and I was like look guys I I don't know what game you're watching but every quarterback's going to get sacked every now and then doesn't matter how good or how athletic they are the offensive line will break down there were some issues on this offensive line with depth as well as players not being available, all of a sudden we had a huge shift on the left side of that offensive line. 
maybe maybe that has something more to do with it than, than Spencer Rattler's mobility. But again, you're talking about the quarterback. You're asking about the quarterback play, and I couldn't have been more pleased with what we saw. Well, let me let me address that that mobility issue for for just a second, and and say no when you when you're comparing him to the last two quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray, he's not going to run on that level. You know, Kyler Murray was just a straight burner that has, you know, world, world-class world speed. Spencer Rattler doesn't have world-class speed. And Jalen Hurts was basically a fullback playing the quarterback position whenever he decided to run the ball. And Spencer Rattler doesn't have that size. But we did see him move. We, we saw him run. Um, I, I'm more – when you talk about the um, the sacks – I, I'm okay with what happened when you look at what part of the game that happened in. What, what I'm saying is Oklahoma was was fully in control of that game. They mm-hmm. were comfortably in in the lead. Missouri State couldn't – they never even knocked on the door as far as being a threat to Oklahoma. I'm, I'm okay with Spencer Rattler not forcing something. And that's right. what you and I talked about Thursday night, that young – gunslinger mentality where you get yourself in trouble by by making trying to make something happen that's not there and eat the ball take a sack win the next down so i don't have a problem with sack at all and i love that analogy because it is live to play another down we're going to borrow the saying and apply that to football but live to play another down you're absolutely right i i don't know what the coverage is were because they're not panning out. They're the TV staying with where the ball is at. Yeah. Granted, it does start to pan out ever so slightly, but if you're looking downfield and that one and two option are, are going to be deeper routes because Oklahoma had a lot of success early on those deep routes, on those the just those skinny pole skins, is that what they're called? Post Seam routes. Yeah, thank you. Man, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to recover from that one, but the truth is, when it comes to a young quarterback, you do have to like those qualities that, that you've mentioned. Taking the sack, realizing that you don't have to be a game breaker on that play. You're absolutely right again, Matt. The game was well in hand. So just just eat the sack, live to play another down, and, and then make something happen. Well, Spencer Rattler was every bit uh, what he was advertised to be in game one against Missouri State. Seth McGowan, however, I believe he completely exceeded expectations when you look at what he brought to this game. Um, nine carries, 61 yards with a touchdown, also had a receiving touchdown. I, I, I love what I saw from Seth McGowan, so much so that I, I tweeted out at one point in the game, Seth McGowan doesn't run, he glides. And I, I tweeted that out after the um, – after, on the touchdown, the receiving touchdown, you know, just, just the way he strides. And um, we knew starting on Friday, there was some really big rumors coming out about players not being available to play. We had already talked about how deep Oklahoma was going to go into this running back rotation. And they went every bit as deep as we expected them to. They just went with different guys um, because of, of pleasure being out. But now I think, again, Keep in mind, level of competition is one thing. But when you look at Marcus Morris, who I had pegged to have, even when we thought Pledger was playing, I had pegged Marcus Morris as the guy who was really going to have the Marcus big, Major. Big, sorry, Marcus Major. Marcus Morris plays for my Clippers, who blew another 16-point lead, <laughs> by the way. Um, Marcus Major, I pegged him as the guy who's going to have the big, the big game. And, man, it's, it's night and day difference between McGowan and Major. And they're running behind the same line. They're running against the same opponent, but you're getting two completely different results. McGowan looks special. I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't expect him to get I, – I shouldn't say the number of carries that he did. I did not expect him to be as successful right. as he was. Um, just, just echoing that sentiment that you've already thrown out there because you're looking at a kid who – we're saying ultimately he's going to be third, maybe fourth on this depth chart if everyone's healthy. That's the way that it panned out when the depth chart was officially released. You saw Seth McGowan listed there below even a suspended 
mm-hmm. what, what we're assuming right now is a suspended player in Ramondre Stevenson for him to come on and, and have that kind of a game. It looked and it felt like he had more carries than he did because of the success that he had. I continuously said, here's a, here's a freshman who I, he has a lot of potential to put on weight, to put on muscle, to put on size here. But you're talking about a kid who apparently has decent vision uh, above average vision and then speed in combination to get through that hole when it does appear and make things happen. Not once did I see him take a tackle where he went backwards. I don't know that that's the case for Marcus Major. That was the biggest difference for me between the two because Marcus Major, a bigger bodied running back, a guy who drew a lot of comparisons to Adrian Peterson would take that initial hit. And and I know he broke a couple, but it seemed as though more often than not an arm tackle was, was his downfall. Yeah, and here's the thing. It comes what it comes down to with these two running backs is explosiveness. The way they're able to get the ball and to move with once the ball's in their hands, be it on a passing route or be it on a handoff, and there's just a difference in the way they take off with the ball and and how you get started. And when you look at at the at the two different styles, McGowan nine carries, Major eleven carries, McGowan. Average 6.8 yards per carry, where Marcus Major averaged 2.8. There, there's four yards difference between these two running backs. And I, I need to officially go back and retract something I said Thursday night because I said they would play McGowan his four games and then look at a red shirt. <laughs> I, I'm taking that back. Well, I'm taking it back for two reasons. No, number one, my son, who uh, I, I mentioned him several times, listens to the podcast and he, he said, Dad, why did you say McGowan was going to redshirt? I was like, well, they, they want to keep him. I mean, they, they want to, you know, keep him around for a little bit longer and give him the experience and really use him next year. And he was, I mean, just the way we're used to thinking sometimes in the box of normal college football, you know, he, he's a younger guy thinking in the box of, sorry, my, my computer's playing highlights all of a sudden um, hey i had the same issue um, it's very he, distracting he's a young he, he's a youngster pl- thinking in the box of covid in 2020 he's like dad it's a free pass everyone gets the year over so it doesn't matter if they red shirt him or not he, mm-hmm. he gets this year over so i was like that's a great point so no they're obviously not going to red shirt him but now after you've seen him play again it's a missouri state but he was going against the same defensive line same set of linebackers that marcus major was Four yards a different per carry difference. No way this kid's going to redshirt anyway. And I think Oklahoma's going to have a hard time keeping him off the field if he can produce, you know, the next steps, Kansas State, which is not one of the elite teams in the Big 12. But I think we're all agreed Kansas State's a step above, several steps above Missouri State. I'm curious to see how he does against a higher level opponent. Right. And the second thing I wanted to just make mention of was, Ultimately, under Bob Stoops, we saw this trend really being broken of straying away from starting a younger running back. Mm -hmm. Bob Stoops on numerous occasions, excuse me, Bob Stoops on numerous occasions had started a freshman running back, a true freshman running back. There were some special players that came through under his direction while he was the director of recruiting, if you want to label him as that, as the head coach. You had DeMarco Murray. You look at guys, uh, a couple that I'm probably not going to mention, but there's Adrian Peterson as well. You had a a talented group where they did break that mold. They broke that mindset. I think we're just seeing a continuation of that. And there are special players that will come through. There are guys who may, um, when when they were evaluated as a high school player, they just got it wrong. I mean, that happens. You have to look at the system that they're playing in. You have to look at the talent that's around them. I know you look at Millwood here in the Metro, and they're always a competitive football team, one of the best in the state. I think the year that Marcus Major played for them and they won the state championship, there were something like seven Division One recruits on that team. So that was a good team. I don't know that's the case with, with uh, McGowan. I'm not saying that he wasn't worthy of a four-star uh, ranking or rating, but he's definitely separating himself here in the early going. It will be interesting 
to see what happens as these the linemen that Anton Harrison who's that true freshman starting on this offensive line you look just at the left side in general when as you begin to get those pieces back you're not having to play guys out of their natural position like a Hayes or a, I don't know that Robinson was necessarily out of a his position but definitely wasn't labeled as the starter on that left side of the line so again getting those guys back in getting the entire running back room back in will mcgowan continue to separate him that's the thing to watch this season so far well yeah because keep in mind we, we haven't seen pledger and we certainly haven't seen ramondre stevenson and we won't see ramondre stevenson uh until after the texas game there in my opinion hey yeah, go ahead. Let me ask let me ask a random question because there is a a mindset that this season whoever wins the national championship it's going to come with an asterisk next to it. There's a lot of uncertainty if the Big Twin Big Twin Big Ten's going to get back in the mix. They're only going to play roughly 8 games by the time everybody else will have completed 10. Do they get a, a pass? on the rest of their season and they're just automatically included in the college football. Again, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of question marks, but knowing that this season's going to have an asterisk, why uh, there, let me say it this way. I have heard that people are saying, why don't you just play those suspended players knowing that it's going to have an asterisk and then vacate the seat this season anyway, because it really doesn't matter. Well, I don't think that they can play the suspended players uh, without disqualifying themselves. Um, and secondly, I, you know, I, I see what people are saying about the asterisks uh, on this season. And I, I get that to an extent, but I'm going to say wh whoever wins the national championship this season, my, my money's still on Clemson, right. but whoever wins the national championship this season, it, this will be the hardest national champion I think we've ever seen. Because not take out the Pac-12, take out the Big Ten, who really aren't play. They're they're not the players in the national championship picture that everyone wants you to think they are. The Pac-12 has been awful, and they're clearly the worst of the Power Five conferences. People want to talk about the Big 12. That's fine, but Pac-12, no bones about it, worst of the Power Five. The, the Big Ten is is the big disappointment. How many how many times has the Big Ten? had this Wisconsin or Ohio state or, or, you know, and they're supposed to be that team. And then mm -hmm. boom, they're, they, they lose to Clemson. So, um, I, I, the first, so that said, this was always going to be Clemson, always going to be about Clemson in 2020, but whoever wins, be it Clemson, be it Alabama, be it Oklahoma, be it Georgia or some, even at the PAC 10 and the big, at uh, the PAC 12 and the big 10 get back in this thing somehow. Okay. Whoever wins, not only did they win their conference, not only did they win the semifinal and the final of the playoff, but they also beat COVID to get there. We saw how much COVID can affect a team on Saturday night. We've also seen it in the Big 12 when you look at the Baylor game getting canceled and you look at the Oklahoma State game getting pushed back a week. You look at TCU getting canceled. Three of the 10 Big 12 teams didn't play this weekend because of COVID. Oklahoma missed some key guys on Saturday night because of COVID. So when you talk about, whoa, there's going to be an asterisk. What, what do you mean? It was COVID. I thought they all slept in. <laughs> well, that was a funny tweet, by the way, uh, <laughs> from Gabe Burkish. But the, the point is, the, the point is this. Whoever, whoever hoists that trophy in January, they've done more to win a national championship than any team in the last hundred years to, to get there. So I don't understand. Hey, let's talk about an asterisk. It doesn't count. No, it counts, and it counts in a big way on, on that. Before we close this out, Matt, I do want to go on record and – and say, I had asked you a true or false question about Spencer Rattler and whether he even deserved to be in the Heisman conversation in terms of odds making. You knew that he jumped up to that number two slot behind uh, Trevor Lawrence with the Big Ten as well as the Pac-12 sitting out. I said, was he worthy? I I've got to retract that mindset or anything that I had projected out there saying that he wasn't because he's definitely a, a generational type talent. Now, those are, seem to be more and more common at the University of Oklahoma, specifically at that quarterback position. But I, I am fully on board with Rattler being this generational talent who may only play this year and next year before jumping into the NFL. He's, he's that. Okay. 
one game. I get sample size is real small, but he appears to be that good. Not just one game, but but only two quarters. And it's almost like Lincoln Riley knows what he's doing when it comes to evaluating quarterback talent and then developing it. Um, and yeah, Spencer Rattler is going to be special. And it's just the next in line of, of what, what Lincoln Riley's doing mm-hmm. with this run of quarterbacks. You know, we saw that when Bob Stoops came in 99. I wrote about that a little bit um, when we did our, um, our, our, you know, game notes, post game. You know, you had, you had Josh Heupel come in. I don't even know if you know this. You had Josh Heupel come in in 99 in his debut. Mm-hmm. He threw five touchdown passes. Do you know the next quarterback to throw four or more touchdown passes? Uh, Landry Jones. Nope. The next quarterback to throw four touchdown passes in his debut. So Josh Heupel threw five. The next Mm -hmm. quarterback to throw four in their their debut as a starter was Blake Bell. So you had all that time from Josh Heupel to Blake Bell without a quarterback throwing four touchdowns in their first start. And then Spencer Rattler comes in and does it Saturday night. Now, here's the thing, though, that you got to keep in mind. Spencer Rattler is a freshman. Blake Bell was a junior. Josh Heupel was a junior when they made their first ever starts at the University of Oklahoma. So you got a guy coming in as a freshman doing something that only two other players have done since Bob Stoops introduced this spread offensive concept back in 1999. Mm -hmm. That tells you how special Spencer Rattler is, but there's still a long way to go uh, when, when, in terms of, of him developing and, and again, we're, we're going to talk about this later on in the podcast, but once there's a step up in competition and real pressure comes and there's tighter uh, coverage, meaning smaller windows to hit those receivers, I'm curious to see how all that plays out. I, I do want to stick with the, the freshman theme, though, because I'm going to throw this statement out here, and I want to see what you think about it. Um, Spencer Rattler, super impressive. Seth McGowan, super impressive. But the second most impressive freshman on Owen Field Saturday night was Marvin Mims. No, I completely agree with that. During the game, I even sent you a message of the first four touchdowns that were scored. Three of them were by true freshmen, and I'm not counting Spencer Rattler in that. Two of those were were from Mims. You had Seth McGowan with the rushing touchdown, and I think Charleston Rambo was was the third, and then the Marvin Mims were, were sandwiched between those two. You look at a guy who we knew had speed. We knew had a – realistic possibility of getting on the field despite the talent that came in in the recruiting year before him as a receiver he's a guy who a lot of people had high expectations for knew that he he could do some damage if defenses didn't necessarily pay to pay utmost attention to him and I think we saw a lot of that because you saw him immediately get behind defenders and you saw him know what to do once he was behind that defender it wasn't the oh no, holy crap moment that there's no defender around me. I'm going to drop this pass. No, he looked like he looked like a veteran out there, a guy who had a lot of experience, a lot of poise about himself and the ability to in the moment just do what he knows he can do. Yeah, and the coach has to have a lot of trust, particularly in a true freshman, to put him as a punt returner. And, mm-hmm. and he even looked special there as well. Um, so I, I really liked what um, – what I saw from Marvin Mins. Now the criticism that I, I did see about Oklahoma's offensive performance post um, post game would have been on the running game. We talked about Marcus major. We talked about Seth McGowan, but here's the, here's what I want to jump in here and say, I'm kind of given the running game and the offensive line play a pass on this season opener. It wasn't terrible, but when you look at how well the receiving game played out when you looked at the how polished Spencer Rattler looked we talked about Marvin Mims I mean you know Theo Howard was looked exceptional leading the team and number the number of receptions the running game just was okay you know and I think everyone had such high expectations I know I did going into this game uh, about how Oklahoma was going to run the football but when you when you look at you already mentioned Anton Harrison not being available but not only was Anton Harrison not available, but Stacey Wilkins wasn't available, who's Anton Harrison's backup, TJ Pledger not available. And so when we talk about the offensive line looking a little bit discombobulated, it was, and it was mm-hmm. for good reason. So I'm not going to jump on here and judge the offensive line based off of that performance, and I'm not going to judge the running game based off that performance. I'm pretty much going to say, I get it. 
let's get those guys healthy and see how they mm-hmm. look against Kansas State. It is the one area of when we look at or when we want to begin to discuss areas of improvement, that's the one that was most notable to me. The uh, skill position players seemed to know exactly what they were doing. They had everything figured out, but that offensive line was glaringly not up to what we were expecting, giving the returning talent. Sure. I know some new names surfaced and there were going to be some starters that we may not have even expected to be in that kind of a role this year, or even step onto the field this year. Needless to say, I thought the offensive line did phenomenal in pass protect. There were times where it looked as though Spencer Rattler had all day to throw the ball. But again, as you've mentioned in that running game, uh, too many players um, making contact in those gaps, too many defenders for Missouri State figuring something out. What I don't know if they were using just some kind of a quick swim move or whatever it was, but it was certainly throwing Oklahoma and individuals off balance, which then meant that Marcus Major was not the running back that we expected him to be. Yeah, okay, so all of that said, here's my last thing I want to talk to you about on the offense. Chandler Morris better than Tanner Mordecai. Give me your thoughts. I don't know, Matt. Um, Chandler Morris, uh, when, when he came in, we knew that the game was over. We knew that it was to get him some playing experience. And we knew ultimately, I believe that Oklahoma is going to groom him to be that backup next year to Spencer Rattler. The reality is that Mordecai has been the big question mark for anyone who watches and follows this team, knowing that the potential for him to transfer is pretty great at this point in time. Granted, he's locked in for this season, but another year with Lincoln Riley and a season where you just get an extra year of eligibility is never going to hurt. I look at Chandler Morris, I thought of the three quarterbacks on the field, he looked like the most mobile of the three. I thought he was deceptively quick and you like what he brings to the table. It is a little bit of a a change of pace. You see what he did passing wise. I mean, he was four of four, but Tanner Mordecai, 14 of 17, he matched what Spencer Rattler did. I just didn't feel as though they gave Mordecai an opportunity to throw downfield. And that was by virtue of not wanting to run the score up. That was just my take on it. I could be completely wrong, but when you don't open up the opportunity to throw downfield, it's hard for me to say that that Mordecai was behind Chandler Morris on that game. Well, keep in mind that that Mordecai did throw downfield and, and he threw an interception in the end zone. Um, you know, so that there's, there's a knock against you as well, but I, oh, we go back to the top of the podcast when I talked about, I, I have that, to correct my stat. I said Chandler Morris was four of four. He was just two of two. Um, but you, you go back to what I said at the very top about the way the ball spins, the, the placement and just the, the touch. And it was there for Chandler. The, go back to look at that. Look at that very first throw that Chandler Morris made. It was exceptional. And you mentioned the speed, the, the wheels that he has. I, I've been high on this kid. You, you think back to last year, November, December, when, the, when we're, we're wrapping up recruiting. I'm the one talking about Chandler Morris and Oklahoma getting him. I, I liked him then. I like him now. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's uh, – he, to me, limited sample size, only two passes. But I liked what I saw <laughs> from him way better than I liked from Mordecai. Um, and, you know, I feel like Mordecai was, was pressing a little bit. You know, Spencer Rattler let the game come to him. Chandler Morris let the game come to him. I feel like Mordecai tried – well, we talked about Thursday night. He, he's the one who tried to do too much. I, now, to clarify what I'm saying is I am not at all saying that Morris needs to be QB number two in two weeks against Kansas State. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying he looked really, really impressive Saturday night against a team that's, let's be honest, is a step above 6A high school football here in the state of, of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's our thoughts on the, on the offense. We, we do have to talk about defense because as impressive as the offense was, I think the defense may have matched them stride for stride. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Oklahoma, 48 to nothing, blanking the Missouri State Bears in the season opener. Here's the first thing I'm going to say about the defense, Rich, is I don't care who you're playing. A shutout is hard to come by. It's not like it happened every day. It doesn't. And so, yeah, go ahead. I I was, I I mean, the one word that I'm using to describe a majority of the positions that we're going to be talking about is impressive because of the condensed offseason, because of the label of speed defense, there were certain aspects that we were certainly hoping would manifest themselves on the field. And one of those was that speed how would this defense look without kenneth murray how would this defense look without some of these experienced potential leaders Mm -hmm. available in a caleb kelly at that linebacker position would they be able to flow to the ball is deshaun wide again linebacker position a guy who can take over and ultimately continue the streak that we saw for the past three years while kenneth murray played that position There were a lot of question marks specifically in the middle of this defense. There were some question marks there along the defensive line as well. And so when you look at a team that put up those, the type of numbers that they did, especially in the first half, I I think when you can hold a team below a hundred yards, in fact, I think they held them below 50 yards in the first half. When you can do that, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. You can hang your hat on that. that. That's a good outing. Yeah, you talk about some defensive stats here. Oklahoma, for the entire game, only gave up seven first downs. Missouri State was 0 for 1 on fourth down, and this was key to me. 0 for 11 on third down and 135 total yards of offense. And then the big one is DeLarian Turner-Yell coming up with the interception. Alex Grinch, speed defense, producing a turnover. I I liked everything I saw about it on all three levels of the defense. I love seeing Trey Norwood back in there. I was watching. You know, that's one of the things I said to be watching how they how they rotated those corners. Um, I thought I, I Perry and Winfrey up front was again uber impressive. But we're talking about level of competition here. But you got to beat the guy who's in front of you, and whether he's wearing a a white Missouri State Bears jersey or whether he is wearing a burnt orange texas longhorns jersey you got to beat that guy in front of you and and i don't think we saw i'm i'm trying to think right now i don't i don't recall seeing any oklahoma defender get beat on saturday night and that's that's exactly what you want to see we talked about the mobility of Missouri State, specifically at the quarterback position when Jade Johnson mm-hmm. was in there before that injury. And I said that it was one of the Achilles heel of this Oklahoma team in the past. With Alex Grinch, is it something that is – it, is it a riddle that they would be able to solve? And I absolutely think they were able to do that, given the fact that Jalen Redmond wasn't available, given the fact that Ronnie Perkins didn't play. Again, we were looking at the, the entirety of the defensive line and saying, what kind of impact would a, an Ellison have? What kind of an impact would, would a Winfrey have at that defensive tackle or nose tackle position? And would the defensive ends be able to do some containment on there? I thought they did an excellent job. Right. You look at kind of mixing some things up. I noticed um, specifically Oklahoma would put the four down defensive linemen on that on that line. And right before the ball was snapped, their timing was impeccable because there would be a shift right before the ball was snapped. A linebacker would assume the role of essentially a defensive end, more of that tweener, a Nick Benito position. Really, I mean, that really favors his play style. So he's sliding up as that defensive end or as that edge rusher. And and they had a lot of success with that because they, I, I felt like Missouri State never knew where the pressure was coming from, and I didn't feel as though Oklahoma mixed it up a ton. That's a uh, good sign. Right, and that's and we talked about that Thursday night, is if you're not going to get pressure from your defensive ends, which I mm-hmm. still think is going to be hard to do 
in the absence of Ronnie Perkins, can your defensive ends keep containment and you bring pressure from somewhere else? And we right. absolutely saw them do that. And here's the thing that I really – both sides of the ball, but me more so on defense because – the defense, the defense is, is the part, is the aspect of this football team that needs to take a step forward. Offense has been humming for years now. Special teams, even in the absence of game Berkich, you're still perfect on field goals, perfect on extra points. Special teams, the return game, they never really got to return a kickoff, but a punt return was good. So special teams is there. The defense is what needed to take a step forward. And mm -hmm. we talked about several times. How many times did I say uh, pregame, no spring ball, limited summer workouts, and I, I, what I feel like was a rushed summer camp that was even interrupted by sending everybody home when they found out they weren't going to start on the 29th. You didn't have the mistakes that I thought could possibly be there. Right. They, they, those mistakes weren't there. Oklahoma was fundamentally sound defensively. They're fundamentally sound when it came to tackling, fundamentally sound when it came to getting lined up, fundamentally sound when it came to covering. They were everything. Th this was a team that didn't look like they were making a season debut, much less a season debut coming off a year of a pandemic with interrupted preseason activities. I love that about this team. And I watched a lot of football on Saturday and I saw a lot of teams that you just think, oh my gosh, you know, this team, they, they didn't work on fundamentals. And you could even go back to that Labor Day matchup <laughs> with, with BYU and Navy and you watch Navy and you're thinking, holy cow, how are they this bad? And then you hear, yeah, they never, they never went live. They never did right. any live. And, and so it, there was pause to stop and say, okay, I'm worried about this when it comes to Oklahoma's defense, who clearly needs to take a step forward. And again, you, you can only play the team that's on the field with you. It's not Oklahoma's fault that it was Missouri State on the field mm -hmm. Saturday night and not Tennessee. It's not their fault that they never made it to play Army. So you got to beat the guy that's in front of you, and that's what they did, and they beat them soundly. So you walk away from this defense and you think, yep, it wasn't the best offense they'll see this season. In fact, it was probably the worst offense they'll see this season. But when it comes to fundamentals, lining up, covering, tackling, they had all the fundamentals that you want them to have. Specifically when it comes to tackling, that was um... – for lack of a better term, impressive once again. <laughs> we look at what Oklahoma had done in the past, knowing that there was a concern for to for textbook tackling. There was this, I wanna, I want to be on the highlight reel. I want that big hit. And oftentimes it led to a missed tackle completely and looking like a fool. You look at uh, the opportunities where Oklahoma was in space against a ball carrier and how solidly they tackled. The one person that I did want to single out on that was uh, none other than the um, uh, captain here. We're looking at Pat Fields, right, is the captain, not right. DTL. Right. Yeah, Pat Fields there, who I, I felt like set the tone on the defensive side of the ball in the secondary. You saw him come up to the line where he meets a, a ball carrier one-on-one, -on -one, and what does he do? He knows immediately that his best opportunity of making that tackle is to go low, keeps his head up, goes low, and, and makes that tackle. That, that was one of the most impressive things of this defense where I was expecting major improvements to take over under um, Alex Grinch. We're now beginning to see that on the field, and we're seeing just what kind of tenacity we're seeing just what kind of fundamentals that he is instilling in these players and how much they're buying into what he's selling. Speed D, I get it, but you, you can play fast all you want to. Doesn't matter if you can't tackle. And Oklahoma on Saturday could tackle no problem. All right, we got to talk about offensive, defensive players of the game, as well as what needs to happen in Norman. What does this team need to do to prepare for Kansas State in 13 days from the time we're recording this podcast? He's Rich. I'm Matt, Sooner Nation Podcast. Okay, so before we go any further, again, shameless plug that my son tells me I shouldn't do, but you can get all of our pregame, postgame content on the internet, heartland-sports.com. 
uh, all we we've got all the Oklahoma Sooners stuff there. Not just Oklahoma Sooners, Oklahoma State Cowboys. They're they're it's game week for them now. And then you know Oklahoma City Thunder when it's time for the Thunder to roll around. We got a great set of guys that that covers the Oklahoma City Thunder for us. Um, let's talk about offensive defensive players of the game. I don't think you can make an argument for anybody other than Spencer Rattler. Can you on the offense? No, he's he's the easy pick for sure. So if you're going to go around that and say, okay, that's the obvious one. So give me somebody not named Spencer Rattler. For me, the, the default is a guy, again, that we've already talked about, Marvin Mims, when you consider mm-hmm. what he did re- catching the ball and what he did returning on punts. You know, he, he, I think he's going to edge out Seth McGowan's two touchdowns, in my opinion. I completely agree with you once again. Marvin Mims stepping onto the field, the impact that he had immediately – his presence was felt. He let you know that he was there, and he let you know that, that he was coming to not just have an impact on this team, not to just make a name for himself, but help Oklahoma win that national championship that fans have waited for for 20 years now. Right. I mean, it's crazy. It's been 20 years. Um, defensive side of the ball, I've got Brian Asamoa. Uh, he, he was a major impact from the very first play of the game. But he set the tone early for this defense. He led the team with seven total tackles. There's several guys. You mentioned Pat Fields. Perry and Winfrey had a good game. There's several guys that we could call out on the defense as being those game-breaker guys, player-the-game type performance. But for me, it comes down to Asamoah just because he led the team in tackles. But also, I go to that very first play, and then just the way he set the tone of physicality on that first, second drive early in the game for Oklahoma's defense. I, once again, am going to be in agreement with you here because of, again, just that early impact. We really got to see this starting crew for the the first 30 minutes of gameplay, and then it was a heavy rotation. A lot was um, riding upon the the front seven of this Oklahoma defense and how successful they could be given the current circumstances. And when you have a guy who comes in and accepts that challenge without asking questions but says, you know what, I'm that next man up, I'm going to be the one who makes these plays and then goes out and actually does it. Definitely deserves some kind of, of recognition there. So I've got to give it to, to Asamoah as well. You can hit us up on Twitter. If you, got, uh, if you agree or disagree on players of the game, we'd love to know what your thoughts are. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Let us know who you've got offensive and defensive players of the game. Rich, what needs to happen with this team before – Kansas State rolls into town in two weeks. The only thing I can think of that becomes a pressing matter is they got to get healthy. Yeah, I'm not talking about injuries. I'm talking about COVID. And keep in mind, just because you had so many guys absent, that doesn't mean that all those guys absent have tested positive for COVID, but Mm -hmm. it's contact tracing. They've been around somebody who was. And so you you got 10-day and 14-day windows regardless, you know, based on when you were last tested and, and it popped. So I, I, I do believe it's possible that you can get all these guys back for Kansas state. They need them back for Kansas state. And then, you know, I, I don't think we can overlook the value of the lesson learned in this thing as well, as these guys realize, look, if I don't take care of myself, if I don't, if I don't mask up, so to speak, if I don't isolate myself, I'm missing playing time. This season will move on without me. So that becomes a priority for me. Um, little sidebar here. On Friday night, um, a picture was sent of just a Little League football game that was happening north of Tulsa. And guess who was there? North of Tulsa, Little League game. I mean, there's yep. a there's, – I say Little League. It was probably high school football, but it was kids that were in the photo. So I immediately associate it with, with just Little League football. So you're going to say an Oklahoma football player. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to say oh. an Oklahoma State football player, though. Oh, okay. Chuba Hubbard. No, it was Chuba it, Hubbard. Was it really? I was joking because he's Chuba not Hubbard. from Tulsa, but um, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, I know Oklahoma State picked up a recruit who plays on the defensive side of the ball from Ulaga. Ulaga was where the photo was taken, but it was of – Chuba Hubbard again with kids and I'm over here looking at the situation that's played out already for Oklahoma State and Tulsa who had to cancel the game this Saturday push that back a week now they've got players who are out and a 
about. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm hopeful about the play that game. We do want to see how good Oklahoma State is before they actually come to Norman, knowing that they have some pretty good talent. But we're recapping this Oklahoma-Missouri State game. So that's a conversation for another time, Matt. Um, my estimation was there were about 20 players that Oklahoma was missing from this game because of contact tracing, not oversleeping, not missing any, <laughs> any alarms, but because of coronavirus. And you do have to take necessary precautions at this point in time. It's very unfortunate that it was a guy like Gabe Burkich who had such an impressive streak last year, who looked to continue that this year, who landed on the preseason All-American list. He needs those numbers. He needs to remain active in order to, at the end of the year, remain on that list. So it was a little bit of a disappointment not to see some of these starters, the guys who could have potentially had a bigger impact than those who took their spots. Needless to say, when I'm looking at Oklahoma and I'm looking at Kansas State, two weeks down the road, besides getting healthy, um, I, I think Oklahoma really needs to solidify. And we're going to hit this hard, I feel like, for the next two weeks. But Oklahoma's got to solidify that offensive line. Right. We know but that that's it's the part one, of that is getting healthy, though. Right. We know that that's the one position that's heavily dependent on the guy playing on your left and your right. It's not something that you can just do as an individual. These guys, all throughout what they had of spring, summer, and fall camp, we're beginning to gel together. We're beginning to mesh. And then it was as if the rug was ripped out from underneath them here on September 12th as they stepped onto the field without a full depth there. Now, the skill position players just seem so deep at this point in time, specifically at that receiver position, that I feel like you could miss one or two and not have a huge setback. But the offensive line is a completely different story. So what Oklahoma – in my opinion, needs to do in preparation for Kansas State. Just kind of figure that out. Let's solidify some things. Maybe have even a backup plan so you know where you're going if someone doesn't play instead of just being thrust into the fire. Oklahoma has been very fortunate that they have a coach like Bill Biedenboe, a guy who has done an exceptional job of evaluating, a guy who has done an exceptional job of putting players in a position to succeed. I do expect that to continue moving forward, but given the fact that he'll have two weeks, doesn't matter who's playing what position. I think we should see a better outing from that group in general. There was one point in the game. I think it was um, Bray Walker got rung up for uh, for a penalty. And, you know, Bill Biedenboe came out in the field a little bit. And even with his mask on, you could just tell the look on his face was not a look of pleasantry <laughs> or, or, you know, or pleasure. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. Bill Biedenboe, I, I've got full confidence he'll get those – those guys in shape and, and you got to give him credit for putting together an offensive line again we talked about Anton Harrison not available and mm -hmm. Stacey Wilkins his backup not available for this game but yet he still put a, a, a group of guys out there five guys who dominated um, and it, it's impressive now I, I do want to clarify because you've mentioned a couple times about oversleeping and so forth if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> and you're trying to figure out what is he talking about and you don't know this already about midway through the second quarter, Gabe Burkich tweeted out something along the lines of, my alarm didn't go off, I overslept, but I'll be back. You know, um, just as a joke, a sense of humor, clearly he's sitting out for one reason or the well, other. And Matt, other players had jumped in. I don't know if you saw, but right, they right, were but, but Burkish, quoting his tweet and saying, me too. Yeah, yeah, but Burkish is the one who got all that started. Right, right. And, and, and it's, it, it was driving me nuts that it took, I think, the fourth or fifth time – it was three three extra points in before they figured it they out. They finally realized, wait a minute. On the fourth one. Uh -huh. This isn't Gabe Burkish I <laughs> Right. All right. So, um, yeah, and I agree with everything you're saying. I think offensive line takes center stage over the next couple of weeks. I think continue mm -hmm. to expand depth uh, on, the, on that back end of, of Oklahoma's defense where you look at the linebacker core and the defensive backs, continue to expand the depth there. Um, and, and getting ready for a Kansas State team that, I didn't expect – I didn't have high hopes for him. Um, but, um, but, again, I didn't expect them to lose the way they did on Saturday in their opener, which brings us to our, our final topic. We've got to talk about the atrocious weekend that the Big 12 had. So, I, on, this, um, on, on this topic when it comes to the Big 12's opening weekend, let's start with the positive. The, and I, I'm – I'm happily ready to admit that I was wrong on this 
West Virginia <laughs> absolutely demolishing Eastern Kentucky 56 to 10. And when you consider that the Mountaineers on Saturday morning announced the suspension of 11 players before they even, you know, kicked this game off, to have 11 guys suspended and still dominate the opponent the way they did with the very, very low expectations I had for mm -hmm. Neil Brown and company this year. When you talk about the bad weekend that the Big 12 had, and it was a bad weekend, West Virginia was the bright spot that, to me, was the biggest surprise. Apparently, Jarrett Deggie's been the answer for West Virginia all along. We knew at the second half of the season – when they had replaced Osto Kendall with Deggie, there was some improvement there. But when you look at this game specifically against Eastern Kentucky, it certainly helps when you have two 100-yard rushers, opens things up for you offensively, and really allows you to have your way with any defense. Um, I think they benefited greatly from that, and specifically Jarrett Deggie benefited greatly from having those, those two players eclipse the 100-yard mark in rushing. Yeah, and, you know, you feel bad for Austin Kendall, but uh, it is what it is. And and Daggy, of course, a lot of people will remember his brother Seth playing and slinging it out in in Lubbock, Texas, for mm -hmm. the Red Raiders. But uh, different, they they looked impressive. Again, you got, you got to look at quality of competition. It was definitely a better opponent than what Oklahoma played, in my opinion. But let's see how that steps that translates into conference play. Now, sticking with the winners, Texas just dismantled UTEP. In, in a game where we've talked a lot about new offensive coordinator and the expectation for Sam Ellinger not to be a runner, but to throw the ball. And he did that to the tune where I believe he's going to be the offensive player of the week in the Big 12 this week, 400-plus yards. Impressive, again, UTEP, but let's say better point than Oklahoma played, but UTEP. Sam Ellinger... Longhorns passed the eye test for me on Saturday night. One of the biggest questions for the Texas Longhorns was the, the offense that was being installed. And would Sam Ellinger's arm be able to keep up? Through game one, it appears to be the case. Again, as the defenses get better, as the defenses put more talent, more speed onto the field, I don't know if that's going to continue to be the case. But Texas did look impressive in their first outing. It's a large reason why they've climbed inside of the top 10 in the most recent rankings. But again, I know those teams that aren't playing are also falling out. So again, you look at the performance. You, you mentioned the eye test in Texas has passed in week one. Yeah, well, now Texas is never short on drama, and you've got B.J. Foster reportedly quitting the team at halftime and leaving, and then Sunday trying to get back in there and do some team workouts and stuff. So, again, the, never short of drama if you're the Longhorns, and you just gotta, you got to – I mean, I, I would never in a million years fathom a starting offensive or defensive players for Lincoln Riley saying, yeah, okay, I'm done. You don't give me what I want. I want more playing time, whatever. I'm out of here if I'm not on the field. You just, the mindset of, it, it's not talent at Texas. It's the mindset. And, and the Longhorn fan base, they're going to be all excited about destroying UTEP. They didn't lose to Maryland to open up the season. You know, they're, they're going to have all the, that. But you got you to look at that mindset. Number one, I'm going back to the old coach and me. You walk off the field during a game that I'm coaching, you're never coming back to my team. You know, it's, 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 Matt, not, it's not you're happening. killing me. What? Go ahead. What? Uh, I, I don't want to rehash this conversation. No, but I no, do. no, no. Go ahead. Cause it's different. What would you're saying opting out before the season starts and <laughs> quitting during a game that that's not even the same stratosphere of quitting. They're not, but they have a similar result to me. Well, the, the, again, both, that's, you that's both fine. left the team. No, well, okay. I both left the team. Very different reasons. Okay. Very mm -hmm. different reasons. You, you left the team. Kennedy Brooks left the team over health concerns for his family. Jalen Redman left the team over health concerns for himself. That is not the same as walking not off the, the same, field and, and, in the middle of a game because you don't get what you want. No I'm way. I'm not Those saying are, they're the same. But I'm saying in both situations that it would be hard for me as someone who's put in the work 
all season long for you to enter the equation next season. And for the Texas's case, it's for that game. We put in all this work all week long. You're going to quit on us. I'm not taking you back next week. No, I agree. I agree. This is just Foster. seasonal versus look, weekly. If you're Jalen Redmond or Kennedy Brooks and you come to me before the season and say, Coach, look, here's where I am on this. Here's the situation with my family. Here's the situation with my personal health. I don't know what's out there with COVID. I'm making what I believe is the best decision for me, and I'm respectfully going to decline to play this season. I'm going to welcome you back to earn an opportunity the next year. I'm going to do it. Because you came to me in advance, you explained your situation in advance. Now, if you're if you're a, a, a player and we get to the halftime and things are going well, by the way, and you're not happy when the team is doing well and you're not happy with the amount of time you've been on the field, and because of that, when the team's doing well, but you, it's all about you. And you're saying, Yeah, I'm just not getting enough here. I just this isn't working for me. So you either give me more or I'm quitting and you quit that, that is a whole new ball game. And I'm, you know, Hey, leave your helmet in your locker room and you know, we're done. Don't, don't even come back. So anyway, I'm sorry. That's, that's a rant that I, I didn't intend for us to go down. The other winner outside of Oklahoma over the weekend was Texas tech who won in a <laughs> shootout over Houston Baptist 35, 33, I mean, look, if you're Matt Wells and company, you win the game. Bowman stays healthy, so there's another win. But holy cow, Houston Baptist, I can't even think of the quarterback's name, had over 400 passing yards against his Texas Tech defense. And they were a failed two-point conversion away from this game going into overtime. Texas Tech, you win by the, by the hair of your teeth, so to speak. But, man, that's not a good look. I will tell you this, Matt, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go ahead and look at your Big 12 power rankings and move Texas Tech down. Yes. Is, yes. is it going to happen? Duly because you had, them, yes. you had them pretty high. I believe the others of us on this website, I know specifically that I had them at number nine, where you had a team West Virginia. No, no, no. I had West Virginia pretty low, and then Texas Tech at number eight, I think. It's, it's all besides the point – that we're making here at this point in time. But when you look at Texas Tech, a win's a win at this point. Yeah, I think you've got to keep moving forward. You've got to look at Alan Bowman staying healthy and, and consider that a win in this situation because I knew that their defense was not going to hold up, that they were going to find themselves in quite a few shootouts. As long as Alan Bowman is the quarterback of this team, they, they have a fighting chance to surprise some people, especially if they can win the turnover margin. I don't know that they did that on, on Saturday. Well, they're going to put up numbers offensively, but there's, there's some – they're burning the midnight oil in that defensive coach's room trying to figure some things out. Mm-hmm. As we're starting to take the downward spiral of the Big 12, Arkansas State goes into Manhattan and beats Oklahoma's next opponent, 35-31 over the Kansas State Wildcats. We talked about the offensive line play for the Wildcats as a concern going in. Uh, to the season. And we talked about the defensive secondary. Both of those things rid their ugly heads in a big way as the Wildcats completely upset. Oh, I, I said, this is a game that the, they may struggle in. I still didn't think they would lose, which they, they, they lost and not the biggest upset of the weekend involving a big 12 team, but it's definitely an eye opener. Kansas state. It was a bigger eye opener for them more so than it was for us who were thinking that that would have been a a fairly easy win, maybe a bit of a challenge, but a a very winnable game for them, for them to walk away with that loss, utter, utter surprise there. I watched the beginning of that game and then had to go about my day. So I didn't get to finish it when I did finally check into the scores. Again, it was shock and awe that was on my face because I, I definitely didn't expect that. All right, the big upset, Iowa State, a team that I had pegged to challenge for the Big 12 championship. A team inside the top 25. Not saying that they still can't do that, but 31-14, to 14, they fall at home to Louisiana. Here's, here is where we may have misjudged the Cyclones, and that's in the area of speed. Louisiana was just faster. They got behind that Cyclone secondary with regularity. They got to the edge before Iowa State could get to the edge with regularity. 
and they beat the Cyclones off the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball with regularity. That's something I didn't see coming with this team. Now, keep in mind the Cyclones didn't have their all-world tight end, Charlie Collaire, but even with that, this to lose by you know you, you lose by multiple scores. It's not like they at Kansas State lost by less than a touchdown, 35-31. Cyclones lose at home 31 to 14. This it's not right. And I in Ames right now, this is a mm-hmm. game where you're supposed to buy a win. You're already a top 25 team. The Cyclones always struggle early in the season. I said that last week on our on our pregame podcast, but this was an ugly, ugly loss for the Cyclones. And to me, the biggest thing it exposed was a lack of speed on both sides of the ball. I thought under Matt Campbell, the defense would be able to hold serve. Again, you've mentioned it. That was not the case. On the offensive side, Brock Purdy, one of the best quarterbacks. If not, we've labeled him as the most NFL-ready quarterback. But one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the Big 12, combined with Brees Hall, despite not having Kolar there available. I thought the noticeable thing for Iowa State was that they didn't have a big outside receiver, something that they've relied upon heavily over the years and something that they've had a lot of success with. And I'm, I mean, we'll, we'll completely excuse the tight end position for now, but not having that big time target as an outside threat who can go up the field and stretch it vertically was, was very noticeable or stretch it vertically consistently. Yeah. Brock Purdy, not a good game, didn't throw any touchdowns, and, and that significantly hurts you if your defense isn't holding up. Yep, yep, and that's we'll see what happens. Big 12 uh, kind of takes a pause. Most of the Big 12 takes a pause, catches its breath. Um, Sooners face the Wildcats in two weeks um, to start conference play, and then they go to Ames, Iowa, to face those Cyclones before – facing the Longhorns in the Cotton Bowl in the Red River rivalry. That's going to wrap it up for this edition, post-game edition of the Sooner Nation podcast. You can find us on the web, heartland-sports.com throughout the week. You can find us on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Um, find the podcast and subscribe anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio Network, iHeartRadio. We're there. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. We'd love to hear back from you. Have a fantastic week, everybody, wherever it takes you. Boomer Sooner.